This is a great passage. I'm really enjoying going through Matthew. Um, you guys all know the story. Jesus is up there on the Sermon of the Mount, giving the sermon to people. And right now, he's talking about what does it take to keep your spiritual life going. And Jesus brings it back to the basic habit of prayer. He brings it back to praying. He gives a whole section on how to pray. We just went over that a couple weeks ago. And the words that we hear tonight, or not tonight, today, (laughs) the words we hear this morning are familiar. Who's heard the words? Ask and you will find. Or ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Who, raise your hand if you've heard those words before. Okay, these are familiar words to us, but I think these words are simple to hear. We hear it. It's like, okay, yeah, ask, seek, knock. I get it. But to fully understand these words and to really, like we've said before, like tattoo them on our hearts where it's like we take it and we own it and it makes sense to us, that can be way harder. It can be difficult to fully accept what Jesus is saying here because there's really deep implications to what he's saying. Think about it. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. That's saying a lot. Jesus is packing a lot of punch into that promise. So how does Jesus define prayer here? Like, we know he gives us, like, how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We praise God. We ask God for things. We um, request. We praise him. We declare our allegiance to him, all these things. Um, but in this section, he just is talking about asking for stuff. He's saying, ask God for stuff. Ask God for things. Like, ask God to help you. Ask God to give you things. It's a very optimistic look, you know. It's, hey, Ask and you will get it. Ask and you will receive. Um, there's a pastor I love listening to named Tim Mackey. He's a total nerd. Like, he is just the biggest, like, dork. He is in a church in Portland, and he has the geekiest voice, these big glasses. But I love him. He's so smart. Um, but I was listening to him recently, and he was talking about the same passage, and he was talking about his kid. I don't have a kid, so I have to use stories about other people's kids. So he was saying, uh, Pastor Tim was talking about his kid, and he said that every morning his kid comes up to him, his kid's like three years old, and walks up to him and says, Dada, hot chocolate. Every morning, just walks up, Dada, hot chocolate. And he's like, yes, I will give you hot chocolate because I love you. Like, why wouldn't I? This is awesome. Um, He actually says that his kid comes up and says, Dada, I want special time with you with hot chocolate, and you read me a story. And he's just like blown away because he's looking at this little tiny person who looks like him. And it's like, yes, of course. I, of course I'll spend time with you. Of course I'll read you a story. Of course I'll give you hot chocolate. And that's the tendency of a good parent. A, a tendency of a good parent is to give good things to their kids. And Jesus shows a picture of God like this. He says God is like a father who just wants to give you good things. A father who's just happy to spend time with you. A father who really just wants to bless you. So it's, it's not that complex, but what makes this passage complex is our response to what the passage says. Because some of you might be at the place right now, you know, at junior hires. I was just doing junior high in first service, and, you know, they're super, it was crazy. I went in there, and, like, within five minutes, like, I was the junior high pastor 
um, for the last three years, you know, so it's been six months or so since I've been in there. I went in there, and like within two minutes, they had started a game of plastic spoon ninjas. And they were just running around, slicing each other with plastic spoons, and like laughing and giggling, and I was like, wow, this would never happen in the high school room. Um, everyone would be like, that's super lame, that's super weird, why are you doing that? Um, so, you know, junior hires are super silly, um, and I feel like when you're younger, you can have a more like innocent, you know, kind of like, dependence on God where it's just you're young and you just trust him. But now that you guys are in high school, maybe some of you guys are jaded. Like maybe some of you guys have been through, maybe, maybe you're, you're looking at this passage where it says, ask and you'll receive, uh, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And you're thinking, that's a really optimistic view of prayer. I wish I could think like that. I used to think like that, but then life happened. Then reality hit me. I started praying for something and I didn't get it. I started asking God and I didn't receive. I started seeking God and I didn't find what I was looking for. It's hard sometimes to put our trust in what these words say. In Matthew chapter 18, God's promises go on even further. God says when, in Matthew chapter 18, when two or more people are gathered in my name, when they get together, they can ask God for anything and he'll give it to them. That's a promise. That's huge. But do we really put our faith in that? In, in uh, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus says later on in Matthew chapter 21, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, not like this big faith where you're like standing on the roof with your arms stretched out like praying at the top of your lungs, but just like a tiny mustard seed worth of faith, like, you know, where you're like, yeah, my God's awesome. He could do that. Yeah. Like a mustard seed's worth of faith. Jesus says that's enough to move a mountain if you really actually truly believe that God can do what he says he can do. We have obstacles to taking Jesus' word seriously. I think a lot of us do. I think we have doubts and discouragements that sometimes can stand in the way of truly taking Jesus for his word. Most of us struggle, I think. So let's talk about the three things that Jesus tells us to do. The first one is ask and you'll receive. Now, I made this picture because I thought the lion looked cool. I don't have any illustrations about a lion unless one of them comes to me randomly. God's kind of like a lion, but the Bible also says that Satan is like a lion, prowling around, seeking who he may devour. But don't imagine that as Satan. Let's imagine that as God, because we know that God is the lion of Judah, and he's awesome. So, <laughs> How can I trust what the Bible says about God being a father? I think that's a good question. Some of you guys, this is a big struggle for you. You hear the passages about God being a father, but you have a bad experience with your own father on earth. Maybe your own father was never around. Maybe he works too much and you feel like you never see him and you don't get that support that you feel like you need from your dad. Maybe... There's so many things. Maybe your father has passed away. Maybe your father is incarcerated. There's, there's so many different reasons why we can have a bad experience on earth where we, we think of God as a father and we're like, why would I think of God in that way? Because I don't really have a good picture of what it means to be a good dad. Well, the thing is, no matter what your experience is, you have to remember Jesus invented fatherhood. Everything that a father is supposed to be that is what Jesus is. He originated the role. So whatever thing, and, and you're, you're all your dads, my dad, they're humans. 
They're going to have faults. They're going to have shortcomings. But Jesus is the perfect father. Everything you're looking for in a father, Jesus fulfills absolutely perfectly. Everything a dad is supposed to be, loving, check. Forgiving, check. Merciful, check. Someone who disciplines you when you need it, check. Someone who would lay down their life for you, check. Jesus fulfills every role of a father. And Jesus speaks to this. He's trying to explain what a good father God is. Because remember, Jesus is God's messenger. He's the messenger of the father. He's the one who comes and points people to the father. So he's in a crowd of people. And he stands up in front of the people and he starts talking to the dads in the group. And so there's no dads here, hopefully. Um, But Jesus starts talking to the dads in the group. And he says, all right, how many of you guys are dads? And everyone kind of raises their hands like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a father. You know, they've got their fatherly beards and probably their tools hanging from their belt. And they're just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a dad. And they got their little kids with them. And Jesus says to the fathers, all right, dads, you can all admit you're sinners, right? Yeah, we're sinners. Yeah, we mess up. Yeah, from time to time. And Jesus says, yeah, you guys are all imperfect. You guys are all sinners. But if your little son or daughter comes up to you, and asks you for a piece of bread. Are you going to be like, you know, they're like, Father, please give me some bread. Are you going to be like, yeah, I'll give you some bread. Here's a rock, idiot. Like, no. No dad would do that. Or if they come up to you and they're like, Father, please give me a fish. They're going to be like, yeah, I got a fish for you. Have a snake. And they throw like a cobra at them. Like, that's not going to happen. So Jesus is basically making a joke. And he's saying, you guys are sinners. You guys are all messed up, but you love your kids. You give your kids good gifts. How much more so is God going to love and bless his children? We have to remember that. God loves us. He's the perfect father. He originated the role, and he wants to bless us. And I'm not talking about like prosperity gospel, which is basically like, you know, hey, if you believe hard enough, if you pray hard enough, all your dreams will come true and you'll get an amazing rich house and a boat and a jet pack. Like that's prosperity gospel. It's just like that's basically your salvation means you get stuff here on earth. And that's what it's all about. It's like praying hard enough to get the most stuff. That's not the message Jesus ever said. Jesus said, if you follow me, your life on earth is going to be hard. You will face trials and tribulations and difficulties, but you will have more riches than anybody in joy and happiness and fulfillment. You will have what the world cannot offer you. And some Christians are rich, some Christians are poor. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You will still have hard times on earth. You will still suffer. You will still face persecution and tribulations and trials, but you will have Jesus to help you through it. But sometimes when God tells us that he wants to help us, we don't ask him for help. In fact, sometimes we can laugh at what he says. Abraham and Sarah, you guys know the story in the Bible. Abraham and Sarah, this old, old couple in the Bible, and 70, 80-something years old, old people, God comes to them and says, Abraham, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to make you a new nation. I'm going to, out of you, you are going to have a son born to you, and that son's going to have a son, and you just a nation is going to come out of you. And Abraham and Sarah hear that, and they laugh. They go, good one, God. That's impossible. And we can do that to God. Sometimes God comes to you 
and tells you he's got a plan for you. He tells you he's got something he wants you to accomplish, something he wants to do in and through you, something he wants to bless you with. And sometimes you can just laugh him off. You'd be like, yeah, whatever, God. That could never happen to me. And it's kind of like if your dad came into the living room and was like, hey, see you later, kid. I'm going off to my job. And you laughed at him. You're like, yeah, have fun at your job, loser. Like, that's what it's like when we, when we don't trust God. God's like, hey, I just want to do my job. My job is to bless you. My job is to provide for you. My job is to help you. And when we don't put our full trust in God, we're being like Abraham and Sarah. We're just laughing off God and being like, I mean, maybe you're not physically laughing, but you're, you're not treating God with that confidence that he deserves. Now you think about that while I go grab a chair because I just, I feel like sitting down. This has never happened before. This is awkward. You know what? Sometimes you got to just sit down. Just stare at me while I walk across the stage. That's perfect. All right. I was up till four last night studying for this. I feel underprepared, just so you know. And I feel like God does this sometimes to teach me a lesson, which is, by all accounts, you know, I studied for it, put in the same time I do normally, and I just feel like everything I'm saying probably won't make sense, but I know that God loves me, and he wants to bless this message, and he wants to bless your reception of it. So I'm just trying to be transparent with you. Sometimes I doubt even that, you know, God gives me a message to say, but I don't want to doubt that. I want to know, despite my human limitations and feeling sick, um, Scotty was sick today. I think we just both got hit with something. You know what? God is here, and he wants to speak to you. So have ears to hear. Don't tune out. So continuing on. Understand your need to ask. Ask, and you'll receive. Here's how we tie in the lion thing. Mufasa, what does he say to Simba? He says, Simba, everything the light touches will be yours. What about that shadow area? That is the west wing. It's forbidden. Wait, that's Beauty and the Beast. Um, (laughs) You know, they're kind of the same. Not really. Anyway, we need to understand our need to ask. Because sometimes we, we don't understand our need to ask God for stuff. We don't think we need to ask him for anything. We think we have it together. Think of Peter. The disciples are all together. They're hanging out. They're having their last meal. Jesus knows he's about to be crucified. It's a very important moment. They go into the house. There's no servant to wash the feet. Back then, feet was very stinky. Uh, They had crusty sandals, probably not made out of good materials. Um, The Cobians weren't on it back then. They weren't around. Um, So, yeah, just nasty sandals, nothing going on there, and uh, there's no servant to wash the feet. And, you know, the disciples don't jump to it. They're not like, oh, yeah, it's foot washing time. Let's serve Jesus. They're like, well, there's no servant, so I guess no one's washing the feet. Well, Jesus is like, I'm going to serve. And think about it. He's God. He's God, but he came to serve. He came to serve you. He came to serve me. He came to help us. So he takes off uh, his shirt and wraps it around himself, and he grabs a towel, and he starts washing people's feet. And, and Peter looks at him. He comes at Peter with the rag and starts to wash his feet. And Peter's like, Lord, don't touch my feet. Like, that's weird. Like, don't wash my feet. And Peter's thinking he's fine. He's like, I don't need a foot washing from Jesus. Like, this is, that's weird. I don't want that. And Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then I have no part with you. And Peter freaks out and goes, oh, wait, 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 then give me a bath. And Jesus is like, whoa, we don't need to take it that far. That's weird. Um, And he just washes his feet. But the key in this is, 
Peter didn't realize his need for cleansing. And to use a really juvenile illustration, you know, how many of you guys have little brothers and sisters or have had little brothers and sisters and you remember the diaper stage or maybe who's in the diaper stage right now? Anybody have brothers and sisters? Okay. So in that stage, it's crazy that a baby can literally have a full diaper and just cruise around not even caring. And it's terrible. And everyone around them is just like, that is the worst smell. But the baby doesn't care. It just wants to run around and do little baby cartwheels. And it's like, that's nasty. That's what we do with our sin. A lot of times we have sin in our life and problems. We've, we've got things in our input that are affecting our output. You know, We're letting TV shows and movies and music that we know are affecting us in a wrong way. We're hanging out with friends that we know just steer us away from the Lord and plant those false lies of the enemy in our heart, and we're just full of filth, and God wants to literally change us, and so often we can run from him. We need to ask God for help, for cleansing, for forgiveness. Sometimes I don't feel like praying, But what happens if we stop eating just because we feel like not eating? We starve. We can't stop praying just because we don't feel like it. Because praying is the power source. This laptop right here, it's unplugged. Literally, right now, every second, the power is draining from it. If I plug other things into it, if I plug an iPhone into it to charge it, if I plug an iPad, if I plug a game controller, if I plug a USB stick, if I plug things into it, it actually drains the power faster. The only thing that can charge this laptop is the power cord. It's the only thing that'll do it. That's the only thing that can save it from dying. And in the same way, you in your life, if you're not asking God for help, if you're not going to him and praying to him and asking him for help, you're gonna slowly die out. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna plug in other things to try to fulfill you. Relationships, hobbies, activities, pursuits, goals. You're gonna, like, you're gonna plug in things that you think will satisfy you. And those things on their own aren't bad, but when you try to make them your satisfaction, you will be so drained. They can't give you any power. They can only take power from you. As a human, you were designed with a power plug port that only God can charge. Ask him for help, go to him. Does God always give us what we want? No, absolutely not. One day I'll be a dad. And I'll probably give my kids whatever they want because I'm a softie. Um, some of you guys in junior high, like back when you guys were cute, sorry, but that stage is long past. Um, but back when you guys were cute in junior high, um, you know, some of you guys would like straight up take advantage of me. Like you'd come in my office and like raid my fridge and just smile with these big little smiles like, oh, can we take all your food? And I'd be like, yeah, I guess, you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, when I have little kids, I mean, that's basically what it's going to be like all the time. But there's probably going to be a point where, like, my cute little baby is going to look at me with its cute, chubby, little, fat baby cheeks. And it's just going to be like, Dada, candy. And normally I'd give it candy, but on this particular day, maybe my baby's sick. And maybe it needs a shot. And there's, I mean, do you guys remember? I remember going to my doctor's when I was a little kid for my first shot. And my parents took me in, and I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, oh, yeah, this is great. Yeah everything's great. And then I go in and I see the needle and I'm like, what's that? And it's coming towards me. And my instinct is to back away. And all of a sudden somebody is holding me down. 
And I'm thinking, what bad person is holding me down? And I look, and it's my parents. And they're holding me down to keep me from moving so the doctor can give me a shot. And in that moment, you know, I'm looking at my parents going, you're the enemy. I trusted you for three years, and this is how you repay me, you satanic Satanist. Like, that's, in that moment, like, my parents became the enemy. And sometimes God gives us what we need and not what we want. And that can be very hard and difficult. Sometimes that means punishment. Sometimes that's a trial. Sometimes that's a difficulty that God knows that you need to make you stronger. And in that moment, we can look at God and say, where are you? Why would you do this to me? But God knows what you need. It's much more loving to give the kid the shot than just to feed them candy until they die. God knows what you want, but he also knows what you need. And he's going to give you what you want a lot of times, but he's also going to give you what you need. You know, Jesus wasn't the answer that the people wanted. He wasn't the Messiah that the people prayed for. They were hoping for someone to come into Israel with swords blazing, just killing all the Romans, taking them out, freeing the people. And Jesus came and was like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If someone smacks you on the cheek, give them the other cheek. All right, guys? And everyone was like, what is this? Who is this guy? Where is the Messiah we thought was coming? But the thing that they didn't understand was Jesus may not have been the Messiah they wanted, but it was the Messiah they needed. Because if Jesus would have come and stabbed all the Romans and overthrown the government, it just would have led to temporary peace followed by more violence, and it wouldn't have done anything for anyone's sin problem. So they would have just died, maybe living a little bit of a happier life on earth, not being under Roman rule, but they would have died in sin. Jesus came not attacking people, but attacking sin violently. That was what people needed. That's what we need. We need a Savior who attacks our sin, who says, I'm not satisfied until every bit of that cancer is removed from you. So what happens when we pray and God doesn't give us what we want? Think about Paul. Paul wrote half the New Testament, amazing guy, amazing Bible scholar, and he's serving his entire life for Jesus, just going around, preaching the gospel, risking his life. He's getting stoned. He's getting shipwrecked. People are attacking him, and he's just sold out for Jesus. But he describes something called a thorn in his flesh, which wasn't an actual thorn that he got from a thorn bush. Paul describes something that was just eating at him. Some people think maybe it was a temptation. Maybe Paul struggled with temptation. Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe he had some sort of disease that was killing him his entire life and making it hard for him to preach the gospel. Whatever it was, the Bible says that he, this is Paul. Paul says, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time, this is so key, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. When I am weak, he is strong. Guys, sometimes you might ask God, take this pain away from me. Take this temptation away from me. Take this trial and this struggle. Take this sickness. Lord, just take it away. But God knows what you need. And he knows that the grace that you need is not the, I'm going to fix all your problems and make your life perfect grace, but it's that uncomfortable grace of God changing you and molding you and making you more like him through the trial and through the storm.
And you've got to remember that. God knows what you need. So we ask him, and then when he gives us our answer, whether it's yes, no, wait, maybe, we understand that he loves us and cares for us. Let's, I gotta move on quickly because I got more stuff to go through. I'm so sorry. Let's go to seek, okay? Some people think, why haven't I found the Lord? Uh, if, if my, there was a time, you know, when I was a kid, and I mean, maybe you guys go through this with your siblings where, you know, my sister asked me like, hey, I'm missing my shirt. Help me find it. I don't really care. <laughs> like, I care a little bit, but not that much. So I might, like, look around a little bit in my room, like, dig around the piles and stuff. But, like, after two minutes, I'm like, oh, sorry, I looked. I can't find it. Anyone ever done that? A relative asks you to look for something, and you look for, like, two seconds, and you're like, oh, I couldn't find it. And you barely tried. But when I was a kid, I lost a Mega Man action figure. And this was, like, limited edition, shiny blue, amazing, like, just, like, one of my prized possessions. I put it in a pie. It was one of my prized possessions. When I lost it, I tore the entire house apart looking for that stupid thing. Never found it. Never found it. But I tore the house apart desperately looking for it. God wants you to be more like that. Not like, oh, I'll seek God. Let's open up my Bible. Hmm, I didn't really get that. All right, bye. I'll try again in a week. God wants you to be desperately searching for him, opening up his word, reading, praying, looking at every situation that happens, wondering, was God trying to speak to me through that situation? You find what you really want to find because you looked harder for it. And we asked, does prayer actually work? How, if God already knows everything, why do we need to ask? This is what you need to understand. You need to understand the context of your relationship with God. God is your father, yes. He's your friend, yes. He's your savior, yes. But so many of us just stop there. And we just go, all right, God, thanks for saving me. I'm just going to wait till I get to heaven and try to live a good life, and I'll see you then. God actually wants to be in a covenant with you. And one way to describe a covenant is a partnership. It's like shaking hands, saying, hey, we are going to partner together to do something amazing. Think about it. Do you treat God like a partner? What happens when, when you want to do something with somebody else? Like if Trevor and I were like, we're going to, start a monster truck rally. We're going to get tires and like hoops and light them on fire and like a shark tank to like jump over. It's going to be amazing. If we just like mention it to one another and we're like, yeah, let's do it. But then we never communicated and we never talked and we never actually planned together and like talked about it. Nothing would happen. And God has a great plan for you and you hear it. You hear it on Sundays. You hear it on Wednesdays. God has a plan for you. And you can be like, sweet, God has a plan for me. But then you don't partner with him on it. God wants to partner with you in his plan for you. I'm talking to all of you, not just pastor's kids, not just kids who want to grow up and be pastors. I'm talking about people who are going to grow up and work at Starbucks and go to a Christian or a, a secular college and try to get jobs out in the world. Like God has a plan for you and a purpose for you. Think about it. All those old Bible stories that we read, they were partnerships with God. Don't miss the link. Think of Adam. The first man, God doesn't just make him out of dust and go, all right, Adam, see you. He makes Adam, and he gives him a purpose. He says, Adam, you are going to take care of this garden. Adam, you are going to name the animals and take care of them. Adam, you are going to take care of your wife, Eve, and together, you guys are going to start the world. I have a plan for you. Think of Noah. All these guys who walked with God, Noah walked with God. What did God do? He, came, he created a partnership with Noah. He said, Noah, you're the only guy on earth who loves me and follows me. Let's do a partnership. Build a boat. Follow me. See what happens. Abraham. 
living out in the desert, God appears and says, Abraham, I want to partner with you. I want to start a nation with you. I want you to follow me. God has a purpose for you. Many times people will tell you it's pointless, though, to follow those purposes. They'll say it's pointless to ask and seek and knock. You won't find. You won't receive. It's a waste of time. Why are you spending so much time with the Lord? Um, Recently, my mom lost her phone. And this is a story where I asked and I seeked or sought and I knocked. And my mom lost her phone. And we were like, where's my mom's phone? And we're, me and my dad were freaking out because my dad was thinking of the money, how much it cost, you know, because he's a dad. And we went on Find My Phone, and we put in my mom's information. And her phone was in some sketchy part of town. And we were like, oh, my gosh, her phone totally got jacked by some dude. So my mom was like, just forget about it. It's fine. My mom doesn't talk like that. She's like, just forget about it. It's fine. It's the best girl voice I can do right now. Um, but my dad and I were like, you know what? We're going to find it. We'd already asked, where's the phone? We asked Siri, showed us. So we're like, let's, let's seek the phone, and maybe we'll find the phone. And my mom said, it's pointless. It's a waste of time. You'll never find it. And we're like, no, we're going to find it. So my dad and I jumped into the car, cranked up some rock and roll. No, I'm just kidding. That would have been awesome. Put on our aviator sunglasses. That would have been cool. We didn't. Um, but we jumped in the car, and we drove to that sketchy part of town, and we like... It wasn't even that sketchy. It just seemed like it at the time. But we, we drove to this part of town, and we saw the door. We're like, we got to knock on that door. And I had my phone. I had an app out that basically um, it was connected to my mom's phone where I could press a button and play a sound. So I was prepared to, like, go up to the door and, like, have some sketchy guy come out and be like, what are you talking about? I don't have your phone. And I could be like, oh, yeah. And I'd press the button, and then, like, it would ring. I'd be like, what now? And then I was thinking I'd get shot or something. But we knocked on the door, and Joe Henschel opened it. <laughs> and he had the phone. He thought it was his, and he grabbed it after church. That's the end of the story. But the point is, we asked, <laughs> we seeked, and we knocked. And the door was open, and we found what we were looking for. And people will tell you it's a waste of time, like my mom did. It won't work. It won't work. But God absolutely has a plan for you. You have to go on the missions God sends you to go, and you have to find out what those are now. We're, we're looking at knocking now. A woman who knocked was a woman with a blood issue. In the Bible, there was this woman who was just bleeding nonstop. She had this crazy issue with her blood where she just was nonstop bleeding all the time, and it was a bummer. Like, she couldn't, like, go to any function. She couldn't have friends. Like, she just had to stay at home and bleed all the time. And she went to doctors, and she went to nurses, and they put her on prescriptions and leeches and all this weird stuff, and nothing worked. She hears that Jesus is in town, and she goes, and she says, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And she does it. She busts through the crowd. No one stops to ask her what's wrong. I mean, Jesus is in a huge crowd of people. Think Disneyland times like five, just crushed in this crowd. But she reaches out and touches his rope, and she is healed. God wants you to seek after him in that way. You might think, I prayed and nothing happened. What now? Some of you guys might be in that situation. You prayed. Maybe you're praying for someone to get saved. Maybe you're praying for someone's health. Maybe you're praying for God to open a door, and it hasn't happened. There was another situation of a woman, a Gentile woman. Jesus is Jewish. Um, She shows up in a public place 
and Jesus is with a bunch of his fellow Jews, and she grabs him and says, teacher, Jesus, I have a child who's sick. Will you please heal them? And Jesus says something that actually we would probably consider pretty rude. He says, yeah, you know, I'm kind of here for the children to give them food, and is it right that I give the food to dogs? And like, I'm sure everyone around was like, oh, snap. Jesus totally just dissed that woman. But what he was doing was he was actually testing her. And he used the word for dog, not the way that the Jews used it against the Gentiles. Like, you Gentile dog, you're going to burn. He used the word for puppy, so it was softer. He's like, should I take the food for the children and throw it to the little puppies? And he was testing her. And what she said, because she, she could have gotten offended. She could have been like, you know what, Jesus? You're the worst. And she could have just left, like, super offended. Like, how dare you call me a dog? Like, I'll show you, Jesus. I'm going to go get mines. And she'd leave, you know, and try to fix her problem on her own. But instead... She didn't give up. She kept knocking. She, even though she didn't like the answer, she kept asking for an answer. So she instead turns to Jesus and she says, Jesus, yes, you need to feed the children, but at the dinner table, don't the dogs even get the scraps? And Jesus says, you are awesome. He says, I was just messing with you. I was just testing you for your faith for your faith, for your willingness to not give up, I'm going to heal your son. And he starts telling everyone around, like, this, this Gentile lady, she has more faith than all you Jews. And what we need to do is when we pray, we need to not just expect God to, like, fix our problems right away. We need to have so much faith in God where we're like, God, I love you so much that I'll even take the table scraps. Like, a scrap of Jesus is more than anything the world can offer me. When you're praying for something and it's not happening right away, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. God wants that relationship with you. Think about this. Um, who here has ever had to sell something for like school fundraisers or anything? Um, you guys know that awkward knock where like you just are going to the door and you're like, I hope no one's home because I don't want to deal with people. Like I don't want to sell these like bookmarks. When I was a kid, that's what we sold bookmarks uh, for some fundraiser. It was super lame. Like who wants to buy bookmarks from a bunch of fourth graders? Fourth graders aren't even cute. I think fourth grade is the age where you stop becoming cute. Anyone agree? Like I think third grade is like you reach kind of the peak of it and then fourth grade is just, it's all downhill. Um, you're, yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's what happened to me. Uh, I was cute until fourth grade. That's when I started selling those stinking bookmarks. Anyway. No one bought them from me. Um, it's an awkward knock where you're like going to the door and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. You, it's an awkward knock and you kind of run away and you hope no one answers the door. But if I told all of you, if I was like field trip and we went to a neighborhood and I showed you this door and I was like, my grandpa lives here and he's a billionaire and I pulled out a million dollar bill. I don't know if they make those. That'd be a bummer if the wind blew it away. It'd be like worst decision ever. Um, but if I pulled out a million dollar bill and I was just like, hey guys, he's got like a ton of these. And he told me that if all of you knock on his door, he will give you each a million dollar bill. No questions asked. Like just all you got to do is knock on that door until he opens it. You wouldn't like knock on the door and be like, guess he's not home and leave. You would be pounding on that door because you wanted that million dollars. If it was guaranteed to you. So why why do we go to God's door sometimes like a beggar, like kind of like, oh God, like I guess you could help me with this, but I don't know, like you're not really answering, you're not really opening the doors, I'll just give up. We need to not go to God's door like a beggar, we need to go like somebody who lives at the house, 
When you go to your own door, what do you do? You pound on it until somebody opens. God is looking for that kind of relationship with you where you're coming boldly to the throne of God and asking him for things and begging him for things and just asking him to help you and not giving up when he doesn't answer you right away, but, but understanding that he loves you and wants a relationship with you where you're constantly communicating in a partnership, covenant relationship with him. We need to assume that whoever's going to answer the door isn't going to be mad at us for asking for help, but it's going to be a loving father who wants to help. My grandpa Ron was sick um, just for a long time, alcoholic, cigarette-smoking, chain-smoking guy, drank every day, all the time, and we prayed for him for years and nothing, just years and years. From, I, from as far back as I can remember, I knew how to pray. We prayed for grandpa Ron to get saved. Well, just a couple years ago, he fell and took a nasty fall, banged himself up, and, you know, started dying. He went in, and they opened him up, and they discovered that he had cancer of the lungs, and they're like, it's a good thing that you came in, because if you hadn't, we wouldn't have known you had cancer. But the combination of the fall and his cancer, he started fading really fast. And we just, we, we started praying harder than we'd ever prayed before. And, you know, Grandpa Ron had resisted God his whole life. He had run from God his whole life. And in those final moments, he asked a pastor to come to his room. He had the pastor tell him the gospel one more time. And he gave his life to Jesus. And you know what? That's awesome. And I, I would have loved if he would have been saved my entire life and been my grandpa and been a grandpa who loved Jesus and was a good example. And he wasn't. He wasn't there for us in that way. We were kind of separated from him because he ran away to Alaska to avoid paying his taxes. And just, I mean, it was hard because we loved him growing up. But you know what? I'm glad because he's with Jesus now, and he's perfect, and he's healthier than I am right now. <laughs> he's in a heavenly body. He is perfect. He's restored. He's complete. And I just want to challenge you guys, don't give up on people. The people you're praying for, whether it's someone who's sick, maybe it's someone who needs to get saved, maybe it's someone who's bitter against you and your family, or a friend who used to be your friend, and now they're an enemy, like it's beyond even frenemy, like they're actually your enemy now. Don't give up on them. Pray for them. Love them. Reach out to them. Because God can do the impossible. God wants us to keep knocking. I want to tell you guys, and you know, I, I think what I'm going to do is I've, I've got two other points. I'm just going to save them for next time. And let's just focus on ask, seek, and knock. So to finish this off, Bible story. Who knows the story of Jacob? Anybody? Jacob. He was Isaac's son, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Um, Jacob had something very interesting happen with him. He wrestled God. Not many of us can say that we wrestled God. Jacob was running away from his brother. He kind of ruined his brother's life. His brother was really dumb, big dumb guy named Esau who loved food. And one day, Jacob, who's sneaky, that was literally his name, like sneaky liar. Like <laughs> when he, I, I'm sure most of you guys know this because you're, you're Christian Bible kids, but Jacob and Esau were twins. 
but when they came out, like Esau was like the hairiest little baby, and Jacob was like greasy and hairless. So they looked at Esau, and they're like, let's name him Harry. That's what Esau means. He's Harry. Then they looked at Jacob, and they're like, he looks like a sneaky liar. Let's name him Sneaky Liar. Um, like, that's basically in Hebrew. Like, <laughs> so, like, pretty messed up family dynamics, like, starting off with. Um, and they kind of lived up to their name. Like, Esau was just this big, hairy, dumb hunter-gatherer type, and Jacob was, like, the skinny, like, weaselly mama's boy who, like, was always tricking people. And one day, Esau is um, starving, and he comes home from hunting, probably didn't catch anything, and he's just starving. And Jacob's got this soup. And Esau's like, oh, I would give anything for soup. And Jacob's like, yes, yes, anything, yes. Mwah. Like, he, he's, he's sneaky. <laughs> so he goes, oh, what about uh, your birthright? And Esau was probably like, what's a birthright? Like a birthmark? I don't even know. Like, yeah, you can have it. What a birthright was, it was like basically his dad's will that when his dad died, he'd get like, because he was the oldest son, he'd get like this massive share of his dad's money and property and wealth. So Esau is like, yeah, give me the soup. You can have my stinking birthright, whatever, idiot. And he takes the soup, and he loses his birthright. And then Jacob gets even sneakier because he's like, okay, I tricked Esau. Now I got to trick my dad. So he, like, skins, because remember, he's not hairy like his brother. He's, like, hairless. He's, like, the opposite of Gaston. Like, he's got nothing. So he goes, uh, and he skins a goat and, like, puts goat fur on him to, like, act hairy. And then he goes to his dad, and he's like, hey, hey dad, it's, it's me. It's Esau. And the dad's like, Jacob's like, oh, it is you, because he's touching the goat fur. That's nasty. If he was that hairy that, like, he literally felt like the texture of goat hair, it's nasty. Anyway, he tricks his dad into giving him the birthright. So, long story short, Esau finds out goes ballistic, says, I'm going to kill you. And now Jacob has been on the run for years and years and years, even up until the point when he, I was reading, and I didn't even remember this in the story, like he's running from his brother, even at the point where Jacob has his sons, Israel, um, or not Israel, when Jacob has his sons, um, Joseph and Reuben, like all the guys from the Joseph coat story, like they were born at this time, like they were basically constantly living in fear of their uncle Esau coming to kill them. So at one point, Jacob is running, and his brother's trying to kill him, and he's on the run, and he hears his brothers coming to meet him. And he's like, oh, maybe he's coming to like make peace with me. No, his brother's coming with an army of 400 men. So he freaks out. He's stressed. He's freaking out. He stops by a rock to rest. He tells his family, go wait. He's like, I've just, I've got to rest. So he goes and like tries to sleep on this rock, which sounds really uncomfortable, but apparently that's, I don't know, they didn't have pillows. He went to go rest on a rock and it says an angel appeared and wrestled with him all night. Now I'm wondering, the Bible doesn't give us any context of like how this exchange started. I don't know if the angel just came out and was like, all right, brother, it's time to throw down. Like, I don't know if it was like WWE or like, or if the angel like came and was like, I challenge you to a duel or I don't know how it started, but they just started wrestling all night. And that, that must have been really surreal for Jacob to have an angel just wrestle with him. And he's, he's wrestling this angel, and he's like, okay, my brother's trying to angel me. This heaven, or my, my brother's trying, what, I don't know what word I just said. My brother's trying to, I was thinking of angel. My brother's trying to angel me. Um, my brother is trying to kill me, and I'm wrestling with this heavenly being. This is crazy. And they're just wrestling and thrashing around all night. And suddenly, the angel is like, okay, time to take things up a notch. So he, like, touches his hip. He's just like, hip touch. 
I don't know if that was like the move, the name of the move. Hip touch! And he touches the hip and pops it out of socket, like permanently. So now Jacob walks with a limp forever. And the angel's thinking, you know, he's going he's gonna to give up. And Jacob says, I'm not going to give up. And the angel's like, the angel, at what we find out later, it's actually, it's, it's God. It's through a heavenly being. It's, we, we think it's actually Jesus, a Christophany is what it's called. When Jesus, before he was born as Jesus, takes the form of an angel and comes down and does things. Fiery furnace. Anyway, we can get into that to another study. Anyway, so Jesus is, we think, wrestling with Jacob at this point. And Jake, the, Jesus says to him, give up because the sun's coming up. I don't know, like, what happens when the sun comes up. Like, is it a vampire thing where, I don't know. Um, but the sun's coming up. And Jacob goes, I'm not going to give up until you bless me. And at that point, I don't think God was like, oh, this Jacob guy is so strong. I guess I'll have to bless him because I don't know how else I'm going to win this match. No, that wasn't the point. Like, Jacob wasn't that strong. Think, think about it. God dislocates his hip with just a single touch. Just Bam. God could have won that match at any point. It wasn't, the, it wasn't winning the match that was important to God. It was the match itself. God just literally wanted quality time with Jacob. <laughs> he just wanted to spend time with Jacob. Like, he just wanted to, like, wrestle around with Jacob and show him that he cared about him. And so Jacob, because he's not asking God for help. Jacob is running from God, but he's not asking. He's not seeking. He's not knocking. So God shows up in his world and says, let's wrestle. And once Jacob says, bless me, that's when God stops the match and says, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. I've been wanting to bless you. You haven't been asking me for help, so I put myself into your world. We've been wrestling around, and now you've finally discovered what the point is. I want to bless you. You've asked for it. Now I'm going to give it to you. And he blesses Jacob, and he gives him a future and a hope. And I think maybe some of you guys today are wrestling with God. You're thrashing around with him. You're doubting. You're discouraged. You're constantly just questioning him. You don't believe that he can truly do what he says he's going to do. And I just want to challenge you, just as Casey comes up here and finishes with one more song, I want to challenge you. Give it to God. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're struggling with, lay it down at his feet and just say, God, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. It's okay to ask for that. It's okay to ask God for help. It's okay to boldly come and knock on his door and say, Jesus, give me what I need, and you need what he has. Whether you're struggling with doubt, depression, discouragement, whether school has just been so hard for you lately, and you're wondering, how am I ever going to finish this year? Whether you're struggling with your parents, whether you're struggling with just friendships that have been broken, and now you're just at each other's throats, whether it's somebody who's dying, someone who's sick, someone who needs to get saved, God knows what you need, and his love is so strong. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. He wants to be there for you. Tell God, I'm not leaving until you bless me. Open up your Bible in the mornings or at night and read and say, God, I'm not leaving until I read something that blesses me. The more time you spend with him, the more you sync up with him. Partner with God. Partner with him. Realize that he has a mission and a plan for you. Don't just be a spectator. Be a participant in what God wants to do. 
because he's got a plan for every single one of you, whether you go to a Christian school, non-Christian school, whether you're working at Starbucks, whether you're going to start a company one day, whether you're going to be a janitor, what, whether you're going to have a million kids or whether you're going to have no kids, or maybe whether you're going to get married or whether you're not going to get married at all, whether you're going to work at a church and be a pastor or a worship leader, or whether you're just going to be a citizen of God's kingdom who works out in the world and serves Jesus, whatever it is, you're all called to follow him. You're all called to serve him, and he loves you, and he wants to give you everything you need to follow him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, during this time of worship, just this last song, we want to pour out our hearts to you. We want to lay at your feet our burdens. We want to cast our cares upon you, and we want to ask you for help. We want to admit that we need your help. God, we want to dedicate ourselves to seeking you with our whole hearts. Just like it says, lead me to the, in, the, in, the, in that song, Lord, lead me to the truth and I will follow you with my whole life. God, help us. You've led us to the truth. Help us to give you our whole life. And God, help us to knock. Even when we don't like your answer, even when the door doesn't open right away, help us to not give up, but help us to keep knocking at that door because we know that you've led us to be in a relationship with you, a relationship where we don't give up if we don't hear back from you right away, a relationship where we are constantly in communication with you. Thank you that you want to partner with us. Thank you that you want to make something of our lives. Thank you that you've given us a future and a hope and a purpose. And I pray that you'd help these precious students to find what that is for each and every one of them. Help them not just to look to the future, but to look to right now. What do you have for them right now? How can they love? How can they serve? How can they follow? How can they own their relationship with you? We love you, Jesus, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen.